The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our, our new series, The Will of God. This week will be uh, somewhat more of like a preseason for this particular study that we'll be going through, but I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, as we open up the Word of God together. Every night in my home, before I go to sleep, um, either my wife or I, usually both of us, will do the exact same routine. We'll make the rounds to, to set the coffee for the morning, lock all the doors, turn off all the lights, make sure the thermostat is correct, according to my opinions, and, and then check on the kids as they sleep. And what we sometimes would find, especially with my oldest, Molly, when she was a toddler, we would often find her asleep on the floor next to her bed. Because at some point during the night as she was sleeping there, she would roll out, she'd fall out of her bed. And so we had to teach her to not sleep so close to the edge where she got in to the bed. I wonder this morning if that describes any of us in our Christian life. The problem, I think, with many of us is that we've fallen asleep or we burnt out too close to where we entered into this Christian walk. It's as if we came to Christ, and in that coming to Christ, we were full of zeal and passion. We knew that, that this word of God was our daily bread. We were drawn to the fellowship of the church. We were passionate about this mission, but at some point, our momentum towards the Lord just began to wear off. The momentum wore off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Our life with Jesus, though we claim it's a relationship and not a religion, often it feels more like a religion, doesn't it? And a religion that, that frankly, we're not even that good at. And yet I wonder this morning, do any of you wonder if there's a missing dimension in your faith? If, there, if, if there's more powerful witness that you have yet to experience in your life, maybe even recently as we came to the conclusion of the gospel of Mark last week, and we saw the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples in his ascension, the signs and the wonders that would accompany their work, the boldness that they went out with after Pentecost to proclaim the gospel. And we wonder to ourselves, why isn't this evident in my life? Or why hasn't it been for a long time? And you wonder, is there more? Is there more to this Christian life than what I've known? I can't speak for all of you. Some of you are already living in the more, but for many of you, I would respond with a simple answer to your question, is there more? And it is yes, there is more. There is more. And what I hope the Lord will draw you into over the, the coming weeks as we open up this new study together is I hope you experience the power and the presence of the Spirit of God in your life like never before, because there is more. We looked at the end of Mark chapter two some weeks ago and, and uh, two weeks ago I preached about the resurrection and some of you wondered, maybe rightfully, why did I preach about the resurrection and then go back to John chapter 15 and preach a second sermon basically on this, this life of abiding in the vine Jesus? Why did we go back to this, this lesson that Jesus gives about remaining in him and growing and bearing fruit? Why? Because here's what we can't miss. In the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus has not left us alone. He has not left us to our own devices. He is with you, Christian. His Holy Spirit indwells you. The, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. He is with us here in this church. He desires too that we increasingly know him, that we become sensitive to the leading of his Holy Spirit in our life, not just know about him, but know him. Do you know the difference? Some of us, we, we know about him a lot here. But, but he desires that we know him here and that we live a life of intimate relationship with him. Does that blow you away at all? That God Almighty, 
the creator of all of this. As some of you were here at the fall festival yesterday, just enjoying the, the fellowship and the beautiful weather. Uh, does it at all blow you away that the God who made all of this desires relationship with you? Personal relationship with you, to, to know you and to be known by you. He already knows you, but he desires that you know him in return. And, and that's what we're going to be looking at over the next nine weeks. That's what these next nine weeks will be all about. It will be knowing God by experience, by a living relationship with him, knowing his will by living in fellowship with him. Starting this week, I hope that each one of you will pick up one of these if you haven't already or get one on Amazon, an Experiencing God workbook. They're in the lobby and you can get one out there and, and begin unit one this week because next week I'll start in earnest to preach messages that parallel the first nine units of this study. And I expect it to yield some awesome fruit in your life if you engage. But today, like I mentioned at the beginning, today is like preseason. It's that training that we're going to go through together before we get into the actual game, before we learn how to know and do the will of God. What I want us to look at is why we're doing what we're doing over the next nine weeks so that we can fully engage together. And I want to start this week by simply asking one question, this simple question, are you ready to grow? Are you ready to grow? Ephesians 4, I told you to turn there, starting in verse 11, it says this. It says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So what this means is God has given uh, us different roles in the church and he has given uh, me as one of your pastors this job. My job is, is not to go out and do all the ministry. Uh, my job, in fact, if that was the case, it wouldn't be going very well. My job is not to give you an endless list of, of things to do either, to change your life and to feel better about yourself and to, to have a weekly therapy session with me from the pulpit. No, that's not it. My job is to encourage you. Our job is, as leaders in this church is to encourage you and build you up in a relationship with God who made you, God who loves you, and God who desires that you join him in his work. And the objective of this is that we grow in maturity, that we grow in Christ-likeness. So I'm failing, we are failing as, as any kind of shepherds in this church if we allow you to stay the same. We cannot grow and stay the same, can we? I wanna continue reading in, in verse 13. It says, that he's given uh, the, uh, the apostles and the prophets and teachers and shepherds, the evangelists, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until what? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, listen to this, this is so important, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I want you to see the contrast in this passage. Do you see it? There are those that are mature, those that are anchored in, in truth, growing in Christ, steadfast in times of confusion, when the waves seek to toss us to and fro. There are those that are mature and steadfast. Spiritual growth is important to every single person in this church. Why? Because what we see in this passage is that when we're not spiritually mature, we get tossed about and make decisions not based on truth. How many of you know that there are waves of understanding and doctrine and knowledge, so-called knowledge out there in the world right now that would seek to throw us off from the truth of God's word? 
It's relentless, isn't it? And what this passage tells us is that only the mature in faith will stand firm against these waves. And what we see is, is that those are not, who are not spiritually mature make their decisions not based on truth, but more often based on how we feel or the feelings of, of those around us, which is not a great basis for making decisions, is it? Because I don't know about you, but my feelings are usually based on my mood, and my mood is almost always directly connected to the contents of my stomach or the amount that I've slept. Mature people, spiritually mature people are not like this though. Mature believers, and some of, you know some of them, they are anchored and they make decisions not based on feelings. Now, now make no mistake, they, they are spiritually sensitive. They're, they're open to the impressions of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're willing to, to turn and move as he leads them. But all of their decisions, even when it's based on a feeling or an impression from the Holy Spirit of God are anchored to the truth of God's word. Mature people make decisions and not based on just their feelings, but on what their feelings, when their feelings align with what they find in the word of God. Do you want to grow? What we know from God's word, what we see here, even in this passage in Ephesians 4, is that maturity, growing in spiritual maturity, is not automatic. How many of you know people who have grown old but never really grew up? Don't look at them, okay? <laughs> Babies are cute. Those, those children that went out to King's Kids, they're cute. But a child that doesn't grow up, that's not cute. And it's actually tragic. And God desires for you, Christian, God desires better for you than this. God doesn't want us to stay spiritually as infants. He wants you to be strong spiritually. He wants you to be a woman of God. He wants you to be a man of God after his heart. And as we study the, the will of God over the coming weeks, we're going to understand this question, this what is God's will for my life? We're going to understand that that's actually the wrong question. The better question is, what is God's will? What is God's will? God, what is your will? What do you want? Believer, I can tell you with confidence, one thing he wants is he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow in Christ-likeness. We are not meant to remain as spiritual children. We are meant to grow up. And so what is the picture of maturity? What are we striving after? What this passage tells us is that we are, are looking at Christ. We are looking at Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate picture of spiritual, emotional, intellectual maturity. And our desire is that we increasingly grow up in Christ to have the heart of Christ, to have the thoughts of Christ. Doesn't that, that sound good? When our minds are in turmoil, when we're, we're constantly bombarded by anxious thoughts, what if we had the mind of Christ to deal with those things as they come in the way that he would? And to bear fruit through faith-filled action for the cause of Christ. So I, I'm just gonna assume something this morning. I'm going to, to assume that you want to grow. You want this. You want to grow in spiritual maturity. And so the question then is, how do we grow? How do we grow as believers? And you might write these down in your notes. The first way is this. We grow when we feed on God's word. We feed on God's word. This book, this Bible, this is our food. This is our sole food. And you can't be physically healthy if you just eat junk food all the time and you don't eat the right things. The same is true spiritually. We get this from a diet perspective. You can't be spiritually healthy unless you feed on the truth, the word of God. And so I wanna ask you, what would it look like if you just came to a giant buffet every Sunday and you just filled yourself up and ate a, a whole lot of food on a Sunday, but the rest of the week you ate nothing, would you be healthy? I would say, uh, no, I don't think you would be healthy. Actually, it would harm your health. And, and in the same way, it harms our spiritual health if 
if all we get in our spiritual diet is on Sundays as the world is unrelenting and beating against us throughout the week. It's not enough. We need this word a little bit every day, at least a little bit every day if we want to grow to be spiritually mature, if we want to be spiritually strong. In Matthew 4, 4, you'll remember this. Jesus says this, he says, man shall not live on bread alone. We need peanut butter and jelly as well. No, he doesn't say that. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but what does he say? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our food, Christian. The word of God is our daily bread. God wants you to feed on this word every day. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul says this. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, this is what the word accomplishes. It's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Would you like to have the blessed inheritance that God has for you? Do you want that? I want that for you. As, as your, your, one of your pastors, as your friend, as possibly your relative, I want these blessings that God has for you. And so how do you get that blessing? It says right here, it says, the word of grace will build you up. As you mature, as some of you have seen this in your life, as you mature, as you grow in Christ-likeness, he will give you gifts that you didn't have before. He'll give you ministry opportunities that, that you never saw before, that you never would have seen yourself as capable of taking on. And you'll come to a place in your, your walk with God where, where you'll realize as you mature that even when you're incapable, he'll give you these amazing new opportunities to be a blessing. You, you know what he says? He says, those who are faithful in little will be faithful in much. There's a relationship between our growing faithfulness and the responsibilities that God will give us within his work for the sake of his kingdom. There are some gifts that God wants to give you. There, there may be some ministry opportunities that he is waiting to give you until you are ready, until you grow to be receptive to his voice, to his will. Paul says the word of grace, the word of grace, this word, this word of God, this is what will build you up to maturity and will give the inheritance that God has for his people. Now, how? How, how do we do this? If you want to, to do this, if you want this, I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Between now and Christmas, which is actually not that far away, they're probably already rolling out the decorations in Walmart right now. Between now and Christmas, I'm going to ask you to spend 15 to 20 minutes of your day with a Bible, in prayer, to spend just 15 to 20 minutes between now and the end of the year investing in this relationship with God, eating your breakfast from this word spending time with him. And if you don't know where to start, you can, you can start by reading through a gospel like the Gospel of John. When I say 15 to 20 minutes, that's probably three chapters of one of the gospels. And you can begin to work your way through the word of God at a, at a really strong pace. And you can simply read from the scriptures. Or if you pick up this study, if you pick up one of these, every single day, this will have scriptures for you to read and reflect on questions to ask, stories to, to go along with your reading. And so I'd encourage you, this is a great place to start. If you open up this, this Experiencing God study, this has five units uh, per week. So even if you fall behind, if you miss a day, you have an opportunity to catch up. There's room to catch up if you miss a day. But, but here's the cool thing. If you do all 12 units of this, you will have spent 60 days intentionally spending time with Jesus. And that will change your life. 
that will radically change your life. If that's not already part of your life, that is a place to begin. And so what we're going to, to do as we go through this study and as we preach over the next nine weeks is we're going to, to hear the word of God, we're going to read the word of God, we're going to study the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, and apply the word as our daily bread. Because here's the sad reality for, for me as a pastor. We forget 95% of what we hear within about 72 hours. That means you don't remember the sermons at all after a few days, which is not super encouraging. But when we hear it on Sundays, and when we read it on our own, and when we study it, and when we memorize scriptures, which, which will encourage you to, to memorize one verse a week over the coming weeks, and when we meditate on this and we apply it to our lives, we actually live this word out, it will change us. And when Satan comes and he tries to steal the truth from us, when he tries to convince us of things that are not true, when his, his servants work against us and our flesh wars against us, we'll be able to hold steadfastly onto the word of God. Our grip will be secure. The second way we grow as believers, we grow when we feed on God's word. And secondly, we grow when we are teachable. When we, when we are teachable, that word teachable, it, it uh, has implied within it this, this uh, posture of humility, this openness to learning to being willing to receive something. And, and so that's what I'd encourage you to do is, is to, to put on a, a posture of humility as we come before the word of God and allow it to change us, allow it to shift our opinions. Uh, my, my daughter, Molly, she once famously said as she was learning the difference between opinions and facts, she said, uh, Mama, Daddy thinks that all of his opinions are facts. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have them if I didn't, right? But, but what I, I think the Lord requires of us, what, what he is encouraging us from his word is that we be malleable, that we be humble, that we be open to change. And as the word of God confronts things in our life and it makes us a little uncomfortable, guess who's right? He is. He's right. And so, so this is a process of submitting to the word of God. Are we teachable? I already said this. I'm going to assume that each one of us wants to grow. That's why we're here, right? That's a, at least part of why we're here is that we want to grow. We desire to be teachable. But I also know that, that each of you learns in really different ways. And, and Jesus knew this. Over the, the course of the Gospel of Mark, we saw Jesus use all kinds of different teaching methods to get his message through to those that were listening. He would teach the crowds and, and his disciples in lots of ways. He'd speak, he'd preach, right? He would read aloud from the scriptures. He, he would demonstrate visually. He'd use fish or bread or coins or, or dirt. He would discuss with his disciples. He'd ask them questions. And they'd ask him questions in return and they'd process things verbally and he'd, he would challenge his followers to apply what they'd learned by actually doing it, by stepping out on the water, by going out two by two and doing the work of the kingdom. The same work that he did, they were sent out to do the same and to apply the word of God. Why did Jesus teach this way? Why did he use such a variety of means and methods? Because he's a great teacher. I mean, that's an understatement, isn't it? Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived. And he knows that you have, each have a unique way of learning. You have a unique fingerprint, which is one of the reasons why we have a variety of preachers here at the church. You'll, you'll hear from a lot of preachers from this pulpit. And we think it's important that you hear the word of God from, from different people who have a different life experience, different testimony, different perspective, not a different perspective on the truth of God's word, but a different way of explaining this to those that might understand it differently. And so it doesn't bother me at all when, you, when someone might say, I love Tyler's style. I just love his passion. I love a little fire and brimstone as he gets after it in the word. I love Milton's style. He's so relatable. And he just has such a command of the scriptures. I love the way that, that Susan 
taught at our women's mingle, it just was so compelling and clear and helpful. When you say that, it actually is encouraging. It's encouraging to hear the way that the word of God connects through different voices to you, through different learning styles. And so that's why we think it's great when we have a, a variety of voices up here. Some of you learn really well in this kind of setting. You're auditory learners, you, you learn through the ear gates, you, uh, you learn by listening and you get it as you listen to it. And so you're the kind that, that loves audiobooks and podcasts and uh, can't read really, but you love to listen. And this is me, this is how I roll a podcast at two and a half speed. Anyone else? Yeah? Yes, that is the way to do it. And uh, some of us learn that way. Sit still while the preacher instills. That works for us. We can listen and we, we get it and walk out of here. Some of you are, are not auditory learners. You learn by the visual. You learn through the eye. Don't tell it to me. Show it to me. And so that's why this, during the series, we're going to provide videos for our studies as we get together, where you'll get to watch a video and discuss it. That's why we always give you, I will always strive to give you handouts, notes as we go through so you can take notes so you have something to refer to. Some of you are visual learners. Some of you, you're the ones that get fired up when I bring out the preaching whiteboard. Any of you like that? Yeah, you're the visual kinds? Yes, okay, I'll bring it out sometime, I promise, okay? Some of you, uh, you just like to learn by talking. You learn through the mouth. You're a, a verbal processor, you're an oral learner, and, and you love small groups. Why? Because that's where you get to talk, and when you talk, your mind starts engaging. We all need each of these to an extent. In fact, some of us know some people who their mind actually doesn't turn on and start engaging until they start talking. Anyone know someone like that? Yeah? Well, that's a good thing, because we have environments here where you get to talk, and we'll get to discuss uh, the Word of God together, and as you talk, your mind will start to engage, and for some of you, it's so important for you to be in these small group kind of environments, because as you talk, as you process things, th that will require you to make decisions. What comes out of your mouth will be the, the finalization of what you're, you've been thinking up here. It will form your beliefs to some extent. It will help you to clarify what you actually believe as you open your mouth and share. Now, there are some people that say, I don't like to listen, I don't like to read, I don't like to talk. They're called men, and um, <laughs> that's a terrible generalization, but send them on a men's retreat and we will change that, okay? <laughs> but I, I do know a lot of people, men and women, who simply learn best by doing. Don't tell it to me, I wanna do it. I wanna go out there and, and, and get my hands dirty and take action. And you don't learn uh, football, for example, by reading a manual, though apparently there are playbooks and things that help you to learn more. You don't learn piano by listening to a lecture, though it's important to listen to your teachers. But in these examples, you can see that we learn by exercising our spiritual muscles of faith and action. And that's something we'll talk about a lot in this series, is faith and action. This crisis of belief where we say, am I actually gonna do this? Am I actually going to respond in obedience to the word of God and step out in faith, even when the path is not sure before me? To follow Jesus requires faith and action. And some of you learn by this, all of us actually, this is a requirement of all of us as believers is that we actually live out this word of God, that we apply it to our lives through our actions. And so what we're going to do as, as we reflect on this, the learning styles that, that Jesus employed as he, as he taught his disciples and taught the crowds is, is over the next three months, we're going to teach you one thing and that is knowing the will, knowing and doing the will of God through relationship with him. And we're gonna hear it through sermons. You're going to learn it through the eye as you watch the videos in your small groups or on your own. You're going to learn it through the mouth as you discuss it with one another. You're going to live it out individually and with your group. 
And so if all we do is we come and we listen to the sermons, that, that hopefully will be helpful, but you're not going to get as much out of this because the sermons are just a fraction of how we grow together as a community. Instead, regardless of your learning style, when you seek to fully engage and have a teachable heart, you will change. You will change and you will grow in Christ's likeness. Does this make sense? So my invitation to you is engage fully. It's more than a simple sermon series. The third way we grow is this, we grow when we develop spiritual habits. We grow when we develop spiritual habits. I cannot overestimate the importance of building good habits in your life because your habits determine your character, your character determines your destiny. Your habits determine what you are and what you are determines where you will go in life. You can't say, for instance, well, I have integrity, I'm, I'm honest. If you're only honest 25% of the time, if you don't actually have a habit of honesty in your life, you can't make that claim. Imagine me saying to my wife, honey, I don't actually call her honey, but if I did this kind of sentence, I would. Honey, I'll be faithful to you six days a week. That's pretty good, right? Six days a week, that's the majority of the time. No, partial faithfulness is unfaithfulness. Partial obedience is disobedience. No, 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 it has to become ingrained in our life a habit of obedience, a habit of response and relationship to the Lord. In, in John chapter 13, verses 15 through 17, Jesus says this, he says, I've given you an example. He tells them to, that the Holy Spirit of God is gonna come and, and help them and be their helper in their weakness. But he says, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you, what? Do them, do them, if you practice them. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 9. This was uh, one of the verses of the day this week on the Bible app. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Now see, I don't want us to, to hear this as developing more religion in our life. When we talk about habits, that's the temptation that we're just going to become these, these practicing robots. No, but here's what you get as you practice these things. The practice of our faith comes with this promise of the presence of God. Paul says, as you practice these things, the God of peace, he doesn't say the peace of God. He says, the God of peace will be with you. God will be with us. We experience him as we draw near to him. God is not impressed with us simply knowing the right thing to do. God, God is honored as we live unto him. And as we grow in Christ-likeness through repetition and through practicing the way of Jesus, through following his example. Whether it's exercise, diet, a spiritual habit, or anything else, what we all know is that its effect accumulates and it makes a difference through this radically ordinary consistency. There is no such thing as an overnight success. There isn't really. When you look around at people that you admire who have grown in spiritual maturity, some of them just have a great personality and that helps a lot. But for most of them, what you'll find is that they have really simple practices of obedience and relationship with their Lord. And over time, that makes a radical difference in their life. It is not an overnight transformation, but it is a, a moment by moment. Now, now, make no mistake, God can make some overnight transformations in your life. The Holy Spirit of God can meet you in some dramatic ways that, that shift your life entirely. But the majority of our life, what is normative in the Christian life is this daily, daily transforming relationship where we grow steadily in Christ-likeness. Now, now this, is, this is what we know in every area of life. 
that in order to grow, you have to pay some price. I've learned that what distinguishes people like great athletes from their similarly talented peers is that the true greats are extremely disciplined. I read something when Tom Brady was still playing, he would do crazy things like he'd drink 37 glasses of water a day. Just get a bigger water bottle, right? 37 glasses, that's ridiculous. But he did these kinds of things, he paid this kind of price every day because he, he wanted to be great and it paid off for him. Now, I'm not encouraging you to model your life after Tom Brady, not at all. What I'm saying is, is this, are you willing to make changes? Are you willing to make sacrifices? Are you willing to do what is necessary to invest in this relationship? God has his, his hands open to you for relationship. Are you willing to pay that price? Maybe you'd say to me, well, Mark, no, I'm not actually willing to pay that price. And, and that is up to you. But what you're saying in that is I'm willing to remain spiritually immature. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 9.25. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. He's saying that, that those that strive for success and, and accolades in this life, whether it's, it's through business or through, through your, your sports or whatever it is, he's saying, great. But that wreath that you get, that reward, that perishes. But we as Christians, when we invest in this relationship with God, this is an imperishable wreath. The work of God lasts. The fruit of the Spirit lasts. The fruit of an abiding relationship with God is fruit that endures. And that's what I want for you. And so there are a lot of habits we could teach you, but during our series on the will of God, we're gonna focus on, on four that are on your outline. First, the habit of weekly large group worship. You can check that box. You are here. God bless you. The second habit is this, the habit of a daily, uh, a small group fellowship, excuse me. Thirdly, the habit of daily time alone with God, where you pray a little bit, you, you talk to God, you read the Bible, whereas I'd encourage you to do, you start working your way through this experiencing God study and let him speak to you. And lastly, we will memorize God's word. These four habits alone will change your life. Fourthly, we grow when we don't go it alone. We grow when we help each other grow. We cannot become spiritually mature by ourselves. You need me, I need you. We need one another. God wired us in such a way that, that nobody grows to maturity by themselves. The more you involve other people who are strong in the Lord in your life, the more you will grow. Spiritual growth, I, I hate to break it to some of you, you don't wanna hear this, but it's relational. Spiritual growth is relational. Romans chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter one, verse 11, Paul says this. He says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Mutually encouraged. I love that little phrase. I pray that all the time for my relationships. I pray that for you. That as we come together and as we talk with one another and as we spend time at church together, that this is the result. That it wouldn't just be a taking and a taking and a taking or a giving and a giving and a giving of one to the other. No, that it would be a mutual encouragement that we would build one another up in Christ. God has wired us this way to need other people in our lives. The Bible says this, it says the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. A hand severed from the body of Christ does nothing. An eye severed from the body can't see. You have to be connected to the family of God, the body of Christ in order to grow. And this is the exact opposite of every other faith out there that would say the holiest and most righteous person is the one who is most removed, the one who isolates from the dirty, rotten world and humanity, the one who lives up high on the mountain, removed from all of this, at least removed in their mind from this present reality. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I made you to be with people. We see this in Jesus's life and ministry. He's not hiding in some cave. 
Yes, he goes and spends time in the desolate place with his father, but that is to prepare to go back, to be in the marketplace, to be at weddings, to be with people, to be at parties. He is, he's a wedding crasher, we see in the gospel. And maybe you say, Mark, I love people. I just don't love being with them. <laughs> Jesus loved people by being with them. So why is being in a small group, being with other people important to your spiritual growth? Because the most important thing God wants you to learn in this life is how to love, how to love him and how to love others. And we love God by loving others. The very reason you don't want to be in a small group or in a Bible study, in a, in a community is the very reason you need it. You need it. And you, you may say, well, but Mark, there's people there that will disagree with me. There's people that will be there that I don't like their politics. There's people there that, that look funny or, or that are irritable all the time. And it sounds like that's actually you if you're saying all these things, right? You need people in your life that have different experience than you, that think a little differently than you, that, that, that challenge your self-centeredness, that, that challenge us to think about others, to be giving. Uh, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but this idea of the, the tree, the, the vine and the branches, trees that are in community that actually grow near each other, grow stronger. And, and that doesn't make sense to us. It's counterintuitive. You would think that there'd be competition for resources, but actually the challenge of being in community makes the trees grow higher, for more sun and their roots grow deeper for more water. There's something about being in, in challenging, uncomfortable community that is actually a, a, a prerequisite for our growth. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. By the way, I want you to know this, for the first 300 years of Christianity, there were no church buildings. There were some people that had some big houses and invited a lot of people in, and that's awesome. But there were mostly just groups meeting together in homes. The church was, was nothing more than small group meetings. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem initially, and then they would meet house to house. 100% of the church for 300 years was meeting in homes, in smaller groups. And, and Paul is saying, excuse me, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, let's not give up this habit of meeting together, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, that is the day of the Lord drawing near. So here's the action step. If you want an action step, you wanna grow, join a small group. Now, how many of you are in a group right now, I wonder? How many of you are willing to admit it? Awesome, awesome. Many of you are. And, and I want you to see that if you're not the only one also that's, that's not in a group, if you're not yet connected to them, but now's a great time to get in one. And the easiest way to start this is, is to just start one on your own. If you're not where to go, sure where to go, if you're not confident about uh, joining into another group, you can start one with this, this study we're going through. The videos are there. There's someone else to teach the lessons. It's actually really simple. How big is a group? I'm not talking 10 people. I'm not, not talking eight people. Actually, in a small group, sometimes the smaller, the, it, the better. All you need is three, really, to have a group. All you need is three. If, if you only have two, that's not a group. That's a date, and um, that's great if you want to go on a date, but that's not a small group. And so gather a couple of friends and start going through experiencing God or start, start going through the scriptures a chapter at a time and, and discussing them together and see what God does as you study these things together. You say, Mark, I don't have any friends. I will give you some of mine. Take them, please. <laughs> I want this for you. Anybody can do this. You, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to teach. You just host. 
You just host. H stands for have a heart for people. You have to have a heart for people. You actually have to have some level of, of liking other people. That's a good place to start. O stands, up, stands for open. Open up your home or your apartment or your office or a Starbucks and pull out a laptop Turn and, and just open up your life. S, serve something to eat, drink, coffee, tea, water. T, turn on the video. If you can do that, you can be a host. And if joining a small group isn't going to happen for you right now, Tyler mentioned this, we have an open group here on Wednesday evenings. We would love to have you come and join that group 7.30 on Wednesday evenings at the same time as youth group. Lastly, at number five, we grow when we commit. We grow when we commit. The bottom line is this, you are as close to God as you choose to be. It's your choice. If you feel far from God, God didn't move. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Spiritual growth is a choice. God has this open invitation to us, a beautiful invitation. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He will draw near to us as we draw near to him. Growth is a choice. Spiritual growth is not automatic. You must choose to make the effort. And now let me ask you a very personal question for your reflection as you go this afternoon to reflect on. A year from now, a year from now, how different do I want my life to be Do I want it to remain the same? Do I want it to look the same? A year from now, what will my walk with God look like? And maybe a a more important question is a year from now, what does God want? What does God want for my life? Do you wanna be more mature? Do you wanna grow in Christ's likeness? This is not a a work of of human effort. We we talk about the fruit of the spirit and it is super natural fruit, but it is fruit that comes from an abiding relationship with him. It is a daily grace-enabled, spirit-empowered choice. So I go back to my question from the beginning, the title of this message, do you want to grow? Do you really want to grow? Today is not a rebuke, it's an invitation an invitation to draw near to Jesus anew, to wake each day in such a state of relationship. This is what I desire for myself, that I wake each day in such a state of relationship with the Lord that I say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do together today? What do you want to do together today? And simply live that out. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, you will find me when you get serious about finding me. Draw near to me and I'm there. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. So I leave you with this question. What do you want the remainder of your life in 2023 to look like? More importantly, what does God desire to do in your life? What do you sense him drawing you into in this season? More importantly than all this, what does he want? And if you wanna line up your life with that, simply pray and ask him, say, God, I want to grow. I want more. I want you. Change me. Do your work, do your will in my life. I am yours. This is my prayer and this is what I'll leave you with is is in Colossians chapter four, Paul tells the Colossians about his friend Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, one of you, one of your fellow Colossians who's with me, a servant of Jesus Christ, he greets you. And he's always struggling on your behalf and his prayers. For what? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Let me pray for you right now and we're gonna take communion in just a moment. Heavenly Father, that is is my prayer right now, that we would stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. God, I pray that you would bless our congregation right now. I pray that you would do the work by your spirit. 
to show us what you want, to show us where we can submit. Lord, I thank you for your constant invitation to us. You are so patient, you are so so gracious, you are so good. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't yet know you, who has not yet given their life to you, that today would be the day that they, they simply receive the grace of the cross, the full penalty for sin being paid by you, Lord. I pray for those that are not sure that they would simply believe in what you've accomplished. Jesus, you died in our place on the cross. You paid the penalty for our sins in full and by belief in you, we can share in your resurrection life. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray your blessing upon this church right now and and Lord, we we pray that you would bless this time of communion as as we take this ordinance, this sacrament in remembrance of you and for the sake of relationship and communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen.